The pursuit of God doesn't stop when a believer gets saved. There is so much more to discover about a living and active God who is with us and in us. If you've ever thought to yourself, there has got to be more than this, you are in the right place. Welcome to the More of God, a safe place to explore the more. All right. I am here on the podcast with Amanda Crouch. Now, Amanda and I went to the same church years ago, and I asked her to come and share her story about following the voice of the Holy Spirit. Hi, Amanda. Hello. I would love for you to start by just telling a little bit about where you started first hearing the voice of God. Well, um, I grew up in the church uh, at a very young age. We went to Rinconada Hills Christian Church in San Jose, California. So there wasn't a definitive moment when um, I came to God. I just grew up with him as part of my life. Um, and being the naive child I was, every time uh, the pastor instructed to say the prayer to have him come into your heart, I would say it. So he's he's been there dozens and dozens of times. So it was never a question of uh, when I was saved so much as when I really started hearing his voice. And that was at a very, very young age. Can you give just a, a few examples of times that you heard the voice of God um, when you were little? Well... Probably the most important times I heard him, I actually grew up with an abusive parent, and the worst times of abuse was on Saturday mornings. And if you grew up anywhere in the 80s, you know Saturday mornings was the time and the only time you had to watch your cartoons. So it was a temptation to get up very early on Saturday mornings to go watch my personal favorite, either She-Ra or the Smurfs. Maybe the gummy bears or the, the snorks were also a good option. But that was where most of the abuse happened was if um, you got up early and went into the living room where my father was. And I remember very distinctly hearing a voice many, many times telling me not to go out there, to wait till my mother was awake, to stay in bed, even though I really wanted to go out there and watch my cartoons. Um, I listened to that voice and it actually saved me from suffering a lot of abuse that could have happened to me. So that, that was probably the first real time I heard God's voice. And then I remember there was this other time. I was probably, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, if not younger. And my mom had a 22-year-old cat. It was a Siamese cat that she had before she was married. Um, and it had passed away about a month before Christmas. And she was devastated. And so I did a bunch of chores around the neighborhood. And I was determined I was going to buy her a new kitten for Christmas. Um, but it had to be a Siamese kitten because that was her favorite kind of cat. So I raised about $100. And my dad said he would match whatever I raised. So I did chores for all kinds of people, mowed lawns, washed dogs, and, and I got 100 bucks. So I had $200 to find this cat. So every day for about a month, I was checking the newspaper uh, for Siamese kittens, and there just weren't any. They were none. Or if there were some, they were, you know, in the thousands or way beyond what I had. And it came down to Christmas Eve. And I remember looking again and still no Siamese kittens. And I just, I remember praying, God, I need a Siamese kitten for my mom. Like, I really need her to have this kitten. And I remember hearing a voice saying, look again. So I looked again and I looked into the miscellaneous section. And there was an ad that had been misplaced from the pet section into the miscellaneous section. And it was for Siamese kittens and they were $200. So, needless to say, we ran and grabbed the last one she had. So my mom had a kitten and 
had it for another 22 years. I love those stories because, you know, obviously they're such a good picture of the protective nature of God and how he was watching out from you some, from, you know, from the beginning, but also the second story of just how he cares about the little things. Like I just, I love how um, your little child heart just was <laughs> wanting to, to, to do this for your mom. And he knew that was important to both of you and to her. And he was able to speak to you like that. It's really sweet. So when you say that you heard God speak when you were little, did you know that it was the voice of God? I mean, I think a part of you knows because deep calls to deep. I want to say yes, but in a child's brain, I think I felt it was more like, um, I don't know, like a guardian angel. And, you know, I'm a writer, so I actually wrote a book kind of formed around this whole idea of this voice kind of protecting you from harm. And and that's that's kind of where I got the idea from was I just always listened to this voice to tell me, you know, where the harm was going to be because it was so frequent. So, yeah, just just learning to listen and trust that voice that was guiding me in the right direction to keep away from the things that were going to hurt me. So, I mean, on a level, I, I knew it was God, but as a child, it's easier to believe it's, you know, an angel or, you know, a spirit type being that's there with you all the time. So why don't you tell us about kind of the most recent journey that you've been on in terms of following the voice of God? Okay. Well, being in Hope Chapel, it's a very spirit led church and, uh, my husband growing up Catholic, it was kind of new for him having, you know, relationship with the Holy Spirit, but he was feeling very strongly like we were supposed to move to Sunset Beach where his mother is located and where we visit constantly. And he was really feeling drawn to move back there because he had lived there for about a year before we got married. And I was completely resistant to it because <laughs> my family is uh, here in Apex, North Carolina, and my church family who, you know, helped me through being a single mother and and finding God again and finding the church again and I was very resistant to leave what has become my best friends and and my safe place so I kind of brushed them off as not really knowing what the voice of God sounded like and you're crazy we're not going to the beach no way but then we had a guest pastor come to Hope Chapel and talked about how God called him out of his comfort zone and how he was resistant to it, but was feeling uh, small releases here and there. And I had been feeling the exact same thing, especially with my teaching job, um, where I had found a lot of joy uh, when I first started teaching. I was I was just slowly and slowly becoming more miserable, I want to say, and, and really discouraged that I was feeling that way because I didn't want to feel that way. I wanted to be in that role. I was just feeling more and more disconnected from that job and, and more and more released from uh, my positions in the church. And so when that man came to speak, we knew he was speaking to us. And we kind of looked at each other during the service and said, he, he is totally talking about us right now. And uh, my husband said, yeah, I, I think he is. So we went to, to speak with him after the service and he kind of confirmed that, yeah, uh, we're being called somewhere else. And, and we immediately knew that was the beach. And he said, your children will confirm it. And, uh, and sure enough, I mean, within a few minutes of him saying that, my oldest son said something about wanting to go to the beach. And, uh, and we kind of knew. And we said, well, if you can get your old job back at the beach, we'll know for sure. And pastor had said, by the end of the week, you will know for sure. So my husband contacted his old boss. And sure enough, by the end of the week, he told him, of course, you have a job. And yes, I will pay you what you're making now. And we would love to have you back. So it was very obvious that we we were meant to move to Sunset Beach, North Carolina. So I love that, you know, you were resistant 
the Holy Spirit is kind of just speaking to you and you're kind of brushing it off. But then he starts speaking to your husband and your husband mentions it to you. And then you're a little bit feeling maybe and then you go to church and then someone speaks it from the pulpit and then he confirms it a little bit afterwards. And then he gives you another fleece with your with your um, kid coming up to you and saying this. And then, <laughs> then there's just more and more with the job. And it's interesting how he does that, where he slowly can just take our fingers off of what we're grabbing hold of and reveals his plan to us. So what was next after that? Good question. (laughs) Well, when we first talked about moving to the beach, it was the summer before, and I was just willy-nilly looking to see if there were jobs down there. And there was one in Southport, which is a gorgeous place down there that I would love to live. And there was sure enough an English job. And I said, okay, if it's still there by the time we get home, I'll apply and we'll see what happens. And of course, it wasn't there when we got home. So that's that's where kind of the first tug was. And I said, well, there's no provision there. So that's not what we're supposed to do. So when we heard this from the pulpit, my first response was, well, I can't start over in a new school. Like, I can't. Like, that would be devastating because it's hard enough going to a place I love with kids I love and teaching the classes that I love. I couldn't even imagine starting over. Like, it would have just it would have just been devastating. And I told my husband that in the parking lot. And I said, I really feel like I just I need a year like it's been resonating with me forever because uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, my favorite novel, Harper Lee was given a year to write her novel. And then recently uh, I met an author who is recently published, who was an alum at the school where I taught. And he took a year off of teaching to go live in Switzerland with his wife and he got a book deal out of it. So it was just, it kept coming back to me that I just needed a year. And so I told my husband this in the parking lot. And for the first time, he looked at me and said, well, I guess, I guess that's what needs to happen then. Instead of laughing at me and telling me I was crazy. And we knew the only way to do that was to move in with his mother who graciously uh, let us let us come stay with her. And he even gave me the story that he says, God says, is uh, meant to propel my writing career, which has been a dream since I was a kid. So I love how this story came to formation. So I'd really love for you to share kind of the little pieces of that story and how God has definitely been a part of that as well. So it was about two years ago and I was teaching at this time and it came time for end of course testing, which for a teacher is probably the most boring 10 hours of of your life times three to four, depending on how many days you have to test. And that's usually the time where I will think through my next novel. And I had written three in a series and self-published them. And and I knew what I wanted to do for my fourth. I had, you know, my cover made. I had the premise. I knew where I was going. So I was ready to plot that out and sat down to do it while the kids were testing. Just usually jot some notes and get it all together, ready to write for that summer. And nothing was coming to me which I found very odd because it's the last story of a series. So, I mean, you have your characters. I knew what was going to happen to them. I knew where it was going to be. So it should have been fairly simple, but it was just, I won't even say writer's block. It was just brain block. Like there was just nothing, no ideas flowing, which was very strange because God has always given me my stories. I like to say I think of them, but I really don't. He really, he really gives them to me and I just get to take the credit. So it was really odd when he wasn't giving me anything. So I kind of got up, paced the room, checked on tests, you know, like you're supposed to do. I was still doing my job, I promise. But when I came back to the legal pad, a whole story just kind of flooded into my brain 
Um, and it was about this mailbox at Sunset Beach where where we are right now, where God moved us. And um, there's this mailbox in a remote end of the beach. It's actually in Bird Island, which is at the very end of Sunset Beach. And there's this mailbox that a couple put up there um, in the 70s. And they just put a bunch of notebooks in it. And so people know to wander that far down and they just leave notes um, to anybody. They leave poems, they leave letters to people who have passed and so I had this whole story formulated about this mailbox and it was about, I knew it was going to be a teenage child who was struggling with pill addiction or prescription addiction, which was a major problem at my school. So it was very timely for me that the story came and I, I rejected it and said, okay, I'm going to write all this down so I can get it out of my brain, but then I'm going back to what I'm supposed to be doing. And um, so I wrote it all down, but it just, it wouldn't leave me. And more and more of it came. The only pieces I weren't getting was who this kid was, which was strange because usually I know my main character because God's got a story to formulate around this character and what their struggle is and how he's going to see them through it. And that's the last thing that was coming and it just wasn't coming to me. And I remember praying over it many, many mornings because that's when I have my time with God and we talk and, and just nothing was coming. And I remember maybe a week or two later, and I'm getting frustrated at this point. And I said, God, who is this character? What do you want me to write about? Like, what's his struggle? How's he going to get through this? And um, he told me to go check the mail. So we had just been at Sunset Beach. So I had to go tell my husband, God bless him, that we had to make the journey back to Sunset Beach because I had to go check the mail because I knew my story was in that mailbox. And graciously, my mother-in-law had us back so I could go run two miles down the beach to the mailbox. And I dragged my poor kids down there with me. And it was freezing cold in the middle of February and no one's on the beach and it's foggy and they think I'm crazy, <laughs> which is nothing new. But they obliged me. So we get to the mailbox and um, and there's a good stack of journals in there. So I disperse you know, a few to each of them. And I say, I don't know what I'm looking for. Just look for a good story or something that would make a good story. So they're going through them. And I have the biggest stack because, you know, I know I'm gonna have to check their stacks anyway. <laughs> so as I'm going through my stack, I notice that um, the same woman is writing a letter to her son on every other page. And she has the date at the top. So I know she's been at this mailbox every single day. And there's not a story there, but the fact that her letters are just every other page. And they're obviously to a son that she has lost. And I had written in my journal, the only thing I got about my main character was that his name was going to be Joshua Hurley. And I had written it down. And so I'm reading these letters. And it was about two or three journals in that she actually says his name in one of the letters. And it was Joshua. And I knew that this was my story. I didn't know how. I had no idea how this was going to play out. But I just, I knew that this person, her son, was going to be a major part of the story. Problem was, she had signed all her letters Masha, which I later found out was a nickname that her son used to call her. But it gave me no information as to who was leaving these letters. So I took a few pictures, not to be a creeper, just so I could remember a little details and hopefully find this woman. And uh, on the on the car ride home as my husband was driving, I kind of Googled Joshua and obituary Sunset Beach and it popped right up that it was Joshua Rizzo. And so I put Joshua Rizzo into Facebook and uh, a post popped up that was signed Masha. And so that was written by Tina Rizzo. So I knew who the woman was who had been writing the letters and it was just up to me to contact her. And of course I was not about to do that. There was no way. I said, yeah, thanks, but no thanks, God. I am not 
asking this woman if I can use her dead son for my main character. And I sat on it for a good two weeks. Like, there's no way I can't know. I mean, how would you even write that letter? That's impossible. This woman's obviously in a lot of pain and I do not want to make it worse. So two weeks went by. I just ignored it. And sure enough, it was a Sunday. It was 3 a.m. And God woke me up and there was no going back to sleep. There was no getting a cup of coffee. There was no taking a shower. And I had to be at church at 745. And he put all these words on my heart that he wanted me to tell this woman. So I went into the living room and I pulled up Facebook and I messaged her everything. I told her everything. I said, I feel like, you know, God wants me to write a story, not about your son, but using your son and who he was as my main character to tell this story. And I could not even hit the send button until I was on my way out the door. (laughs) Did not have the guts to do it. I wrote it and I went and took a shower, had breakfast, got my coffee. And on the way out to church, I just hit send and ran out the door. And sure enough, uh, within a few hours, she was messaging me and she was so excited, so excited. And we met a couple days later because she just so happened (laughs) to be in the area and not at Sunset Beach. So we were able to meet up two days later and I actually showed her where I wrote Joshua Hurley in my journal when I was plotting out the book that I I showed it to her and she got very quiet and turned very pale and I said well what's what's about Joshua Hurley why is that making you so weird right now and she said his favorite thing on the planet was his Hurley sweatshirt so we kind of just had a moment of silence and we cried and and we knew that this this story was going to be very important. We both knew this was something well, well beyond us. So we all know that when God is very obvious and he gets you to a certain place and he provides you this perfect story in this very divine way, everything that God calls us to always immediately works out completely perfectly. And there's no <laughs> issues with any of it. Right. Is that that's exactly what's happened. Right. I wish I could say that. <laughs> I wish I could say that. Um, no, our the year is almost up. There's uh, two more months, maybe three. We've got till the end of June. It will be a year since we've left everything behind in pursuit of this. And really not much has happened. Uh, I've written the story. There were a lot of edits that went into it before I felt the release. You know, you just you feel this peace come over you that, okay, this is where it's supposed to be. And that's usually where I would self-publish. But instead, I sent it out to about 34 literary agents because you need one of those if you want it published for real, traditionally, to get, you know, in Barnes & Noble because that's the goal always. Um, Shout out. out. It's the last one standing. So, (laughs) So, yeah, you want to see it on the bookshelf. I mean, that's your dream when you're an author. So, yeah, the rejections come daily. (laughs) They're daily. Wake up to them. They're fun. Good times. (laughs) But yeah, uh, yeah, so you start to lose faith a little bit, not not in God, but in what you heard. Um, did I hear correctly? Um, am I being obedient or just trying to push what I want into existence, which I've done in the past. So it made sense to me to think that. So just recently, we started in a new church when we got here, and my very favorite worship song is Oceans. And the worship team played it the Sunday before we left. And so it was just really important to me because all the words on that is what he was calling me to do, to step out in the waters, to have faith that he's there. And so every time I go to the beach, I sing that song and I look for him in the waves and he almost always, side note, 
shows me dolphins because he knows those are my favorite and never when anyone is anywhere near me my family my husband doesn't see them <laughs> my kids don't see them and when I'm there by myself and I'm singing oceans there's always a dolphin so I know he's with me but you start to doubt and there was one Sunday morning after I don't know I think it was a weekend where I got 10 to 12 rejections where I was just really doubting that I had actually heard the voice of God and I was just pushing what I wanted personally onto everyone around me and, and being irresponsible and needing to go back to work and uh, tick tock, the clock is, is going, it's counting down. So it's on me to do something and all I've heard is wait. So I prayed, I said, God, I believe your word. I just don't know if I believe I heard it <laughs> because there have been so many times in my life where I wanted something so bad that I would give excuses for why you would want it to be. So I just, I wanted to make sure that's not what I was doing. And I said, God, please, if I actually heard this right, if I'm doing your will by being here and writing this book and I'm not going to have to go back to teaching, God, could you just please let the worship team play Oceans today? And I think they'd played it once in the whole eight months we'd been there. So it wasn't on a regular rotation at all. And so I knew it was a long shot. But I said, <laughs> I said, you know, it would just make me feel so much better to hear that song because that's the song that played when we left. And that's just where, I, where my confidence is when I doubt is just in that song. And so my husband was sick, so he didn't go with us. But my two sons did. And um, I had forgotten I'd said that prayer. It was at 530 in the morning. So we're at church at 11 and not even thinking anything of it. And the lights go down and and the stage lights come up and the worship team comes out and I hear the first two chords. <laughs> first two chords of that song and I'm in the middle of a sentence. I'm saying something to my son, completely ordinary, something like, remind me I need to buy something at the store before we leave. And I didn't even get through the sentence and I heard those two chords and I just started bawling. Like, I don't think I've ever really gone weak in the knees before, but I hit, I hit the ground just hit the ground because I heard the, and I had forgotten the prayer altogether. And then those two chords of that song started. And I remember looking at Dylan, I'm saying, is this oceans? They're playing oceans. Is this oceans? They're playing oceans. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy because I'm bawling and I'm like trembling and I'm on my knees on the ground. And he's like, what is the matter with you? I said, they're playing oceans. And so it was just really sweet that God didn't have to do that for me. He didn't have to do. He knew what he told me to do. And he could have reprimanded me. He could have said, you heard what I said to you. But instead, he keeps reaffirming um, why we're on this journey. So even though the clock is ticking and everyone's looking to see what I'm going to do. And it's a very uncomfortable position for me because I'm used to, you know, doing what needs to get done when it needs to get done. And, um, and he's just calling me to just trust him to do it. And so when I asked you if we could do this interview, I remember you saying, are you sure you want to do it now? <laughs> because I don't have an ending for the story yet. But I think it's kind of cool that we're doing it now. It's a step of faith. It's moving forward in trust. Yes, part one. And um, today is April 4th, 2018. And I can't wait to hear part two. It's going to be awesome. So one last question, I would say thinking about people who maybe feel like they don't hear the voice of God or they're unsure if they can hear the voice of God. What kind of advice would you give from your experience over the last so many years of, of hearing his voice and, and trying to follow what he would say? It's a complicated question. <laughs> Thank you. No. Well, what I didn't get into was... Um, when we moved to North Carolina from California, I was 
barely nine years old and my parents fell away from the church. They just never found one that they could really connect with here. So from nine until 27 years old, I wasn't in the church. So I don't have a lot of biblical knowledge. I don't know any hymns. <laughs> I barely knew any worship music when I came to Hope Chapel. But what I did have was a relationship because that's all I had. So for me, hearing the voice of God has been all I've had. So I can definitely understand when people don't think they're hearing it because it's not when you say you hear God talk to you, people immediately want to think that's insane. That's crazy. And it sounds crazy, but it's really not because you're hearing it all the time. It's whether or not you recognize that voice. And what that voice is, is it's not an external voice. It's not like what you hear in the movies. It's not Ben-Hur, okay? <laughs> it's not that. You wish it was because that would be so much more validating, but it's really not. It's a voice in your own head talking to you in your own voice. And so it's hard to recognize. It's something not coming from you. So you have to get used to thinking, okay, that's a thought I just had, but was I even thinking about things like that? Or is that something I would say to myself? I will tell you one more time that I really heard the voice of God uh, when I was really doubting was when my first husband left me. I was six months pregnant with our second child and I had to move from our military base home in with my mother in Apex, which is how we got to be in Apex. And I remember when my youngest was just an infant, I was feeding him. It was about two or three in the morning. And I remember asking God, I said, what the heck? <laughs> what just happened? Like, I thought we were cool. <laughs> what do you what am I supposed to do now? Like, I, I'm I'm young and I have these two kids and and now I'm a single mom and I don't know what to do with that. I've never met a single mom. I don't I don't know how this works. And I remember being really angry and just praying, what the heck? What are you expecting to do now? Like, my life is over. And I remember hearing very distinctly in my own brain, in my own voice, telling myself, deliver me my children. And I remember thinking, what the heck? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? That's not something I would even say to myself. And that's really how I knew it was the voice of God. That is not something I would say to anyone, let alone myself. And it's taken me a lot of years to know what that meant. And it was really just delivering my two sons out of a bad situation that they were in. And I understand that's what he was doing with us now. At the time, he couldn't see it. But I totally understand what it was now um, because our lives have completely changed in such a good way. But that was the first time where I actually questioned what that voice was. And it was really just, it's so hard to explain. But it's those thoughts that come to you that aren't from you. That's the best way I can say to explain it. It's those thoughts that come to you that aren't from you. And you just have to trust that it's God and you go with it. And it gets stronger and easier to interpret as you just trust in it. One of the things you also said too was you have to kind of be able to identify who's speaking. Would you say something like that to yourself? Would your best friend say something like that to you? So can you describe how you kind of sort through the positive and negative things maybe that come into your head? Is it you? Is it the devil? Is it God? Right. And that's a hard thing to do. That's a very hard thing to do because the enemy will talk to you in first person as well. But one thing that our church taught me, thank God, was to examine the fruit. What's the fruit of what they're telling you? You know, is this something God would say. That's why I would encourage people to get into the word, but I didn't have the word for so many years. So it was really examining the fruit. I knew if something was going to lead somewhere where I knew wasn't right. 
I knew that voice was not of God and it was rather not I did it anyway. That is the question, which is hard because sometimes you want something and you know that's not for you. And if you're not listening to the right voice, it's very easy to say, well, I feel like you want me to be with this person when God is screaming at you. No, that's not who you're supposed to be with. But of course, the enemy is encouraging you. But you got you have to look at the fruit. You know, what are you like with this person? Is this who God wants you to be? And it's really just examining which voice is leading you where. And it's having the presence of mind to examine, you know, what this voice is telling you and where it's going to lead. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing part A or part one of your story. And I can't wait to hear part two. Um, When you're a multimillionaire author extraordinaire, I hope you will come back and and visit for part two of the podcast. Oh, man. Okay, I guess I could do that. No, that is not the dream. Just so you know, the dream is simply just to to just be able to support a family and make a living doing what God created me to do, which has always been writing. It's never ever like so many people grow up not knowing what it is they're supposed to do and I was so blessed so so blessed knowing that from a very young age what what it is I was supposed to do and I feel like the enemy distracted me for so many years so so many years throwing you know relationships at me and and wrong paths distractions so many distractions and I know that's why God gave me this year because because he called me out into a wilderness. I don't know anybody over there. <laughs> I don't know anybody at Sunset Beach. I'm, I'm meeting people now. And um, and I found an amazing church, an amazing worship family. But it's been a good eight months where there's not been anyone but, but God in my family. And so the dream is just to be able to do what I love and what I was created to do and to flourish. So, I mean, multi-millions would be great and all. <laughs> but not necessary. Thank you again for coming and we will check in with you in two months. I look forward to it.